once again to the E-Bone Zone. I invite you to sit back, relax, and listen for the 180th time on this Friday, May 15th, 2020. I hope you enjoy this week's episode, part two of a novel review series on Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. the fade. Yeah, sorry, I realize I left you on a cliffhanger last week when we stopped at chapter 8. If it's any consolation, though, I wanted to make this book review one episode, but that episode would be way too long if I did. Think about it, we got through eight chapters last week, and it ended up at like, what, 15 minutes? We've still got like six more chapters, so yeah, it's probably a good idea that I split this thing up. Before we get into this, maybe I should warn you again, in case you didn't catch it last time. This episode contains spoilers. When we came to a stopping point last week, we saw Watson following Barrymore, and we found out that he saw him kneeling beside the moor with a candle, and then... He just gets up and walks away like none of that happened in the first place. Let's dive back in, shall we? Watson writes a second letter to Holmes and gets down to business about what was happening that night at the moor. He said that most likely Barrymore was looking for something or somebody. He brought up that maybe he's got a secret lover. But considering there's a bigger issue, that being a bloodthirsty demon hound on the loose, I'd say that that's unlikely to say the least. Watson goes to talk to Henry a little later and tells him all that went down the night before, and they figure the best thing to do is follow him again and see what he's up to. That night, Henry wants a piece of the action, so he tries to set out for the moor alone, and then Watson stops him like, What do you think you're doing? Come on, dude, you know what Holmes said, I can't let you go there without coming with you, so whether you like it or not, I'm tagging along. Here's the problem with that, though. While Watson's giving Henry a reminder of why he shouldn't go alone, this dude just leaves. Watson follows and finds him and Mrs. Stapleton walking together on a path, and Mr. Stapleton gets involved and starts getting mad at both of them, probably because they've got intentions of being together, and as we learned in the last episode, he's not a fan of that thought. After that whole thing happens, it comes up in conversation that Henry thinks Stapleton's out to get him because he won't let him spend any time with his sister. Also, Mrs. Stapleton keeps telling him how dangerous Baskerville Hall is and how he needs to leave, but Henry says he's not going anywhere unless she comes with him. There might have even been a marriage proposal or two. Okay, just stop a second, bro. You've you've only known her for like, what, three weeks? Slow down, my guy. Good grief. Watson finds the whole thing strange, and to be fair, who wouldn't, but then they get a visit from Stapleton to apologize for all that got going earlier. It seems he's just lonely, and he doesn't want to lose his sister, which makes sense. Anyway, as a peace offering, Henry's invited to dinner later that week at the estate where the Stapletons live. Then he gives an update on Barrymore. It was a two-night job, but they finally heard something outside the door of the bedrooms late into the night, and Watson and Henry get up to go follow him. Now Barrymore's at the window, crouching, as he was a few nights ago. Henry comes into the room to see what's happening and scares Barrymore almost out of his skin. And when they ask him what he's doing, he says that he's just going around to see if all the windows are locked. Oh yeah, and when I'm thirsty, I pour water on my head. Get out of here with that mess. They press him a little more and find out it's some sort of signal, and then they look over and see a light that moves with the candle. They know something's going on, but Barrymore isn't budging. 
Henry's not buying it, though, and he says, Okay, all right, I get it. You don't want to tell us. Have it your way. You're fired. Mrs. Barrymore comes into the fray and gives Henry the whole story. Apparently, her brother is starving, and they've arranged a plan to get food out to him. Barrymore's light's signaling that food's ready, and the brother's light is telling them where to bring it. We find out as well that this brother is an escaped convict from one of the prisons. You know, maybe that's why he's hiding. We also find out that the only reason he broke out was because he wanted to see his family. Either way, Watson and Henry decide to get him back into jail. While they're on the way, Watson hears that moaning howl again, and Henry knows it's the hound. And that's the opinion of all the townspeople, too, so I'm starting to think there might be something to this whole hound thing. Despite being scared out of their pants, Henry and Watson keep going and eventually find him. This guy's not too ready to get caught, so he takes off running, and they follow him but don't catch him. And on the way back, Watson sees a guy just standing on a rock. When he tries to bring it up to Henry, the dude just vanishes. In the next chapter, we see Watson's diary picking up where he left off, chasing the convict the night before. He's thinking now that it's weird, but he also thinks he's above the entire thing. Sort of that the thought of a devil hound is for common people. You know, the superstitious type. Watson also thinks that he might be onto something with this dude on the rock from last night. Maybe it's Stapleton. No, 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 that can't be right. Maybe it's Mortimer. Or, hold on a second, maybe it's Barrymore or the stranger from Cab 2704. Henry's still a bit freaked out by the sounds he heard the other night on the moor, which probably isn't helped much by Barrymore calling him into his study to have a little heart-to-heart talk about the convict and how it wasn't their place to catch him. Here's the deal, though. Because the convict's his wife's brother, Barrymore wants everybody to lay low until a ship can take him to South America, far away from police, with promises that he won't break into any houses or commit any crimes in the meantime. We learn next why Charles was out so late the night he died. Apparently, he was going to meet a woman at the Moorgate. They know this because Barrymore and his wife found a letter in Charles's study that was burned up except for one sentence. Please, please, as you are a gentleman, burn this letter and be at the gate by 10 o'clock. It was initialed LL. Barrymore doesn't have the slightest clue who she is, but thinks she could tell them more about what happened that night. Henry doesn't think they're getting anywhere because it just seems to make the whole thing muddier and harder to figure out. Watson goes out on the moor later that night to see if he can find the guy standing on the rock from earlier. He finds nothing except Mortimer, and he's worried because his dog is gone. But Watson asks him about L.L. and figures out that maybe it's Laura Lyons. She's the daughter of some guy named Franklin, and we learn later that she married an artist who left her a short while after they tied the knot. From then on, her dad didn't want anything to do with her because she married somebody he didn't approve of. So Watson figures he'll stop by to see her the next day and figure out how she fits into this whole thing. Watson sets out for Laura's place and finds her at a typewriter. He introduces himself as a friend of her dad's, and as we know, they didn't exactly get along that well, so yeah, maybe not the best idea to start off with that one. He gets down to business about Charles, asking her about the letter, and we find out she has written to him, but Watson doesn't know enough, so he asks if she's ever tried to meet him. She says no, but Watson has proof. He quotes the last line of the letter, and she's kind of shocked. 
She thinks the letter was never burned because Watson knows some of what it said. And from what we learned, she was the one that had written to Charles on the night he was killed. She said that if he could talk to her, maybe he could help her, but didn't want to go to the house because there would be some speculation about why she was there. Then Watson asks why she wanted Charles to get rid of the letter so badly. She tells him that it's because she learned about a way to get away from her husband because he wasn't exactly treating her like he should have been. She thought if she told Charles the whole story, he'd be more inclined to help out. Still, Watson says she's hiding something, but he leaves because he thinks he's gotten everything out of her he can for the time being. Next, Watson goes back to the mystery man on the moor. My goodness, say that five times fast, why don't you? He meets Laura's dad, who's really happy for some reason. He says that he's closed some woods around his town and that there's a new right-of-way he's built to clean up the roads a little. And this guy... Well, he knows his stuff. He's been in court several times defending the moves he makes to clean up the streets. Franklin versus Regina and Franklin versus Moreland are two cases he's actually pretty proud of. As you can guess, though, he's not that popular with the townspeople. He says that they've burned a statue of him more than once. Yeah, I'd say it's not too far of a stretch to think he won't be up for Man of the Year anytime soon. It seems that Franklin knows about Barrymore and how he's bringing food to that convict. Then, out of nowhere, they see something moving on the moor, and they decide to take a closer look through the telescope. Hold on, wait a minute, whoa, where did this man get a telescope? Oh, right, yeah, he's, he's a rich mayor, they can do pretty much anything they want. Anyway, when they take a look through the telescope, they see a young boy, and he's got a basket. Where's he going? Neither one of them have a clue. Franklin turns to Watson and tells him, whatever happens, do not let anything about this slip out. Watson finds where the convict's supposed to live, and he also finds a letter, mentioning him of all people. From that, we find out that it's Watson that's being followed, instead of Henry. Have you ever heard the saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all? Well, now you have a chance to tell me whatever's on your mind. It's as easy as... One, two, three. Just pop open your email of choice and send your questions, comments, and feedback to ebonezonepodcast at yahoo.com. That's E-B-O-N-E zone podcast at yahoo.com. You never know. What you send could be in the next episode. Fingers crossed. Next, we find Sherlock showing up while Watson's in a cave where the convict's been hiding out. And Watson's really glad to see him. I'll tell you for sure, I would be too. Holmes apparently tricked him into thinking he was somewhere else so that their stories wouldn't match up too closely. Watson's sort of sad because he thinks his letters fell on deaf ears, but when Holmes takes both letters out of his pocket, he feels better about writing them because they weren't just ignored in favor of Holmes traveling to Baskerville Hall and figuring everything out himself. Then Watson tells him everything that went down with Laura from the last chapter. It's revealed that she and Mr. Stapleton write letters to each other and meet up a lot. It seems as well that Mrs. Stapleton isn't actually a sister, but she's his wife. Not gonna lie, I saw that one coming. So the reason that he didn't allow Henry to get a little ahead of himself with her, if you know what I mean, was because they were already married. And it gets even crazier. Mr. Stapleton was the one following them in London in the cab. Then Holmes and Watson agree to go see Laura and tell her everything that went down the next day. Later they hear some sort of scream. Like a hound, maybe? They hear it a few more times and decide to run after it. They don't find the hound, but they do find its latest victim. 
it's Henry. Holmes at first blames himself, but then he decides to investigate Stapleton to see how he fits in this whole thing. They look a little closer at the body and they realize it's the convict from earlier. He was just wearing some of Henry's old clothes. Now Holmes figures that Stapleton's out to get Henry and that the Hound has more to do with it than they thought at first. Holmes' theory on this is that Stapleton's trying to kill him and then blame his death on a family curse so he can get out of a murder trial. Oh, and would you look at that. What convenient timing. Mr. Stapleton comes out to the moor and said he was worried about Henry when he heard the screams. And then he asked Holmes about some other sound that he might have heard. When Holmes says no and asks him why, Stapleton says, Ah, no reason. You know, with all that demon hound talk from the locals, I just... I was curious, yeah. We then learn that for some totally non-suspicious and completely random reason, he's ducking out of Baskerville Hall the next day. They walk back to the hall and discuss all that just happened. Ever the eager beaver, Watson wants to arrest Stapleton right away, but Holmes thinks it's better just to wait so that their man won't catch on too quickly to what they're planning. For now, they're just laying low until they've got enough evidence to draw up a case against him. And then Holmes tells Watson not to tell Henry anything about what they've discovered. A little later, Henry tells Holmes that Stapleton sent for him to come to the moor. He finds out from Holmes as well that the convict is dead and that they heard the hound a while back. So now our boy Sherlock is convinced it's not just a rumor. He knows all those stories he's been hearing are the real deal. He later sees a picture of Hugo Baskerville, the dude that got this whole hound thing started, and recognizes that he looks a lot like Stapleton. They figure out that it's a disguise, and they plan to catch him the next day. Holmes goes to London with Watson after breakfast, and Henry wants to go with him, but Holmes has other ideas. He tells Henry to walk home after dinner with the Stapletons. Now, hold on just a minute. Isn't that the exact thing that everyone in this book has been warned against doing since chapter one? Exactly. They head over to a train station to go see Laura and ask her about Charles's death, and Holmes tells her all the stuff about Mr. Stapleton, you know, that he's married and is involved with the Hound. She's hurt, and I can see why. Man, that's got a sting. It seems that Stapleton wanted Laura to keep quiet about the letter because he said she would be investigated if word got out. After some more conversation, they leave her house. They avoid talking about what's going on on the ride back because there's a driver that might get a little talkative if they're not careful. They then get to where the Stapletons live and set up an ambush outside behind some rocks. Watson goes to check out what's going on inside and he sees that Stapleton and Henry are just sitting and talking like old friends. Then he leaves and goes outside. He's taking a walk on the other side of where Watson's hiding, so now they've just got to wait for Henry to leave and spring the trap for Stapleton. When Henry starts walking home, the hound's right on his heels, and it just about scares Holmes and Watson out of their skin because that's no ordinary dog. It's exactly as the stories tell. Watson shoots at it and they hear a yelp. They now know it's mortal so they can take it out before any serious damage is done. It starts to attack Henry, but Holmes is quick and catches it with five rounds to the body. Safe to say it's no threat after that. So, once the dog's dead, Henry goes back to the hall and Holmes goes to find Stapleton. They can't find him at first, but on the upper floor, one of the bedrooms is locked. I think they've got him. They kick the door down and all they find is basically just a butterfly shrine. 
I don't know. Don't ask me. Stapleton was a weird dude. Miss Stapleton's tied up on the wall. They tend to her wounds and she tells Holmes that the hound was his and there was a mine he used to hide it. They go out to find Stapleton and figure this thing out once and for all. They don't find him, but they do know that wherever he is, he's dead because he was sucked into the sludge of the moor. And considering all that happened, Baskerville Hall is much better off. Now we get down to what I think. I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really well written, and I can see why it's gone down as one of the classics. Like I mentioned, I saw the fact that Mr. and Mrs. Stapleton were married a mile away, but to be honest, I had no idea that Stapleton himself was behind the whole hound situation. I thought it had more to do with what Hugo said about coming back to haunt the estate if he died in Chapter 1. Overall, I'd give this novel a 10 out of 10. I would highly recommend it. I don't know if I'd say it was my favorite book, but it's definitely up there. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I'd put it in my top three at least. I appreciate you hanging out with me and taking time out of your week to hear what I've had to say. But that looks like all the time we've got for this episode. You can stay connected easily on Facebook and Twitter by searching Ebone Zone on Facebook and Official EBZ on Twitter. That's capital O and official, capital E-B-Z. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and drop a review, tell me how I'm doing, and subscribe if you can. Until next time, God bless you, stay humble, and keep an ear out.